This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, October 1st. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, off-site construction offers partial solution to housing crunch, a sports roundup with Vinton Cole, horror comes to Telluride, and a mountain weather forecast. For a lot of people in and around Telluride, one of the top issues on their mind is housing. And it's not just an issue for San Miguel County. KOTO has partnered with multiple stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at economic mobility through housing to understand how the challenges and possible solutions are playing out across the region. But today, it's fall and raining, so we're staying at home. High housing prices mean local workers are getting priced out of the communities they serve across the Mountain West. One nonprofit in San Miguel County is trying to make small-town housing affordable by turning to factory-built homes. KOTO's Matt Hoish has more. Housing takes time. Kiefer Perino knows this. He's been working on one affordable housing development for local workers since before the pandemic. It's been a couple years versus a couple months in the making. Perino is the mayor of Norwood, Colorado. The roughly 600-person town is shaping up to be the first to get about two dozen deed-restricted workforce housing units from a new initiative launched by a local nonprofit, the Telluride Foundation. They're taking a simple but potentially powerful approach, building houses for less money. If you work backwards from a teacher in Norwood, they're making $41,000, they can afford a $180,000 home. That's Paul Major, president and CEO of the foundation. Can we actually deliver a $180,000 three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage home? To get the cost down, Major breaks it into three buckets, land, financing, and construction. When it comes to land, the foundation is trying to get it for free. San Miguel County has donated the parcel of land in Norwood. For financing, a mix of public and private donors have put forth low-cost capital. Finally, there's construction. The first thing that comes onto an on-site construction project is the dumpster, because 30% of all materials that come onto a construction site are waste. They turn out to be waste. To solve that problem, the foundation has turned to off-site construction. Homes are pre-built in a factory and essentially installed onto the site. David Bruce manages the housing initiative for the foundation. He says that off-site building can reduce construction costs per square foot by about 75 percent. And he adds, there's nothing new about the approach. People have been talking about that since the 60s. And one of the reasons it hasn't sort of taken on this effect and and revolutionized the construction industry the way, you know, uh, Ford Assembly Line has is because, you know, there's a huge advantage just to you and me going to a building site, bringing some lumber with us, and there's a flexibility to build on site that is actually hard to calibrate and, and line up once you prefabricate everything. For an existing example, he suggests I look into another similar large-scale development called The Farm in Buena Vista, Colorado. So, I do. Micah Salazar, I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Fading West Development. Fading West Development is the developer behind The Farm. So far, Salazar says, they've built 86 houses using off-site construction, and all of them have sold for between roughly $200,000 and $500,000. And he notes, even though they're not deed-restricted, 
a little more than 80% of the people living in them are part of the local workforce. We really can't build them fast enough at this point. The best way that I can put it is, is the impact has just been huge. Duff Lacey is the mayor of Buena Vista. He says he hasn't heard anything negative from his constituents about the farm, but he notes the factory-built units are still a couple hundred thousand dollars. So he thinks they're not a cure for all the region's housing challenges, but they fill a void. There's still a gap, but this is definitely taking care of a sector that is looking for housing. Of course, there's no guarantee the Telluride Foundation homes will sell as quickly as the Buena Vista ones, but Major is confident. A study found there's pent-up demand for over 30 affordable homes in Norwood, more than the foundation plans to help build. They're also working on similar projects in nearby Nucla, Ridgeway, and Uray. All in all, the projects could result in over 100 new deed-restricted homes for local workforces. And, if all goes well, more could follow. We see this as an opportunity to uh, potentially see this work in a pilot format and potentially scale this in other parts of rural Colorado that need uh, new housing construction. Rick Garcia is the executive director of the Colorado Department of Local Affairs. He says once they see one or two of the projects completed and homeowners moving in, the state is prepared to help other communities take a similar approach. The Telluride Foundation hopes to break ground in Norwood next year and have folks moving in by fall 2022. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. The beautiful game, football, the most popular sport worldwide. Soccer goes by many things. This week on Sports Roundup, Telluride High School's Finton Cole talks with THS soccer coach Ramon Rodriguez and dabbles in some volleyball. This is Finton Cole on your sports update. Boys Varsity Soccer sadly lost on a heart wrencher to Crested Butte 3-2 in overtime. Wish I didn't say this, but apparently it was their first home loss of the season thanks to Crested Butte Titans junior Nathan Sawyer. The Miners are no longer undefeated at home, and it's only a matter of time whether they make the playoffs or not, but they did win on the road against the Rocky Mountain Oysters by a score of 7-0. The Oysters are now 1-5 on their record, whereas the Miners are 4-4 four four on their record. Telluride Miners sophomore Randolph Corona scored a hat trick during the road game against the Oysters. On September 30th, the Miners come back home to host their rival, Ridgeway Demons, and are then off to Bayfield on October 2nd to face the Wolverines in hopes to go 6-4 and four on their regular season. So, Rod, how did you feel when the boys lost on the, on our home, in our home stadium? Um, it was definitely, you know, a tough one to take, but, you know, the boys played well. It was probably the toughest game they will have all season. Um, but they really did well. I mean, we went back and watched the game film on it, and we saw a lot of great things that they did. As upsetting as it is, it's just, you know, a next step up to where we want to get to. On September 24th, our junior varsity volleyball team champed their home match against Crested Butte by a score of 3-0 to zero and did the same to the Debec Dragons two days after that. They're 5-6 and six on their regular season record. Emma Rigetti led the team in kills, serving aces, digs, and receptions, whereas Ali Tialdi led the team in total blocks and assists. On Tuesday, September 28th, they faced the Dove Creek Bulldogs, and the results will be coming up next Thursday. 
The Dove Creek Bulldogs once lost to the Olave Pirates 2-0 on September 4th and were 11-1 before the game. Telluride faces the Norwood Mavericks October 1st and the Mancos Blue Jays on October 2nd in hopes to improve their record and potentially make the tournament. Thanks for listening to your sports updates. I'm Fenton Cole reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you next Thursday. The leaves are turning, low clouds are rolling through the canyon, the air is cool and damp. It's the spookiest month of the year, and horror is closing in on us. On Friday, the Telluride Horror Show announced its 2021 lineup. We think it's pretty high energy this year, which is, um, you know, encouraging since we're asking people to come out to a film festival during an ongoing pandemic. So we've got a, a handful of uh, really fun, crowd-pleasing uh, comedies, uh, which should play well this year, um, along with some of the... Uh, you know, bigger anticipated titles that have been out there on the festival circuit all over the world this year. That's Ted Wilson, festival director for the Telluride Horror Show. He points to Mad God from acclaimed director Phil Tippett, which follows the assassin through a, quote, world of tortured souls, decrepit bunkers, and wretched monstrosities. And The Sadness by Rob Jabbits, which looks at what happens when a nation lets its guard down after years of a pandemic, only to be enveloped by a mind-altering plague. A highlight of note is the film Antlers, produced by Guillermo del Toro, directed by Scott Cooper, featuring Carrie Russell and Jesse Plemons. It's exciting to have, you know, a big anticipated. It's definitely my It's been my most anticipated horror film for the last two years. The film is based on the short story The Quiet Boy and follows a brother and sister in Oregon who become embroiled with a young person whose, quote, dark secrets lead to terrifying encounters with a legendary ancestral creature. Telluride Horror Show is one of three festivals in the country to see the film before its release at the end of October. And that's the fun of film festivals, right? You get to see the stuff before anybody else. Um, so yeah, we're we're super excited and you know grateful that Searchlight trusted us with the uh, the picture and you know wanted to have it in here in Telluride. Outside of the big names, Wilson notes there are a number of shorts and independent features. When asked what films moviegoers should make sure to catch, well, I would say all of them, of course. <laughs> but he points to several standout female directors. Take back the night is one I think people should definitely catch, um, Alone With You. Um, those are two films directed by women, which I think will do very well. Films that blend comedy and horror. There's a group out of London that's coming with this film called When the Screaming Starts, which is a mockumentary about a guy wanting to become a serial killer. Um, I think that's going to play to a lot of laughs in the theater. And, you know, as you can imagine, we can't, wait to hear that laughter ringing through the venues again. Ideally, Wilson says, there's something for everyone and something for every mood. So over the weekend, the attendees, you can can catch a a horror comedy and just have some great laughs with the crowd. And then from there, you can move on to, you know, more of the the heavy hitting uh, films that are kind of wallop you upside the head. Um, And then you can take a break if that 
kind of messes you up a little bit, you can take a break and watch. You know, we have a, an amazing documentary called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched that's about the history of folklore across the world. It's an amazing documentary, and I think everyone should try to catch that as well. When it comes to watching the films, Wilson also encourages people to not read the program notes. I always suggest the less you know about the films walking in, like that's the fun of the festival experiences going in as blind as possible. And of course, there will also be guest authors, including Stephen Graham Jones, Paul Tremblay, and Jeremy Robert Johnson for readings and book signings. There's also the Ice Cream Social and Trivia. After nearly two years off with a virtual festival last year, Wilson says they're excited to be back. To be able to welcome everyone back to Tyrod. And a lot of these people have been with us now for, you know, 10 plus years. And we know so many of them personally, you know, they're lots of old friends. So to be able to see them again in person and, you know, see those lines start to form on Friday afternoon in front of the Nugget and the Opera House and the Palm, and just, you know, that general excitement and buzz that's in the air. I mean, it's, you know, it's real life and we're glad we're back to real life. The Telluride Horror Show will take place in Telluride October 15th through 17th. San Miguel County residents need to prepare to dial all the numbers for a telephone number, even if it's a local call. Last year, the Federal Communications Commission approved the number 988 as a three-digit abbreviated dialing code to reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline starting in 2022. But in order to make that number work, a number of area codes with local dialing, like 970 in Colorado, will need to switch to 10-digit local dialing. That means including the area code with every call. Colorado callers using the 970 local area code are encouraged to start using the 10-digit number now. However, for the time being, calls will still go through with the 7-digit number. Starting October 24, 2021, calls will no longer be completed as dialed unless they include the area code and the telephone number. San Miguel County officials encourage individuals and businesses to check and update websites, stationery, checks, pet tags to ensure they have the 10-digit phone number. They add 970 calls to 970 calls will remain local and the rates of a call will not increase due to the dialing change. Beginning July 16, 2022, individuals can reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by calling 988. Until then, and continuing after, individuals can reach the Lifeline by calling 1-800-273-TALK or 8255. A new state law taking effect on Friday aims to help renters improve their living conditions and avoid evictions. Fees for late rent will be capped at $50 or up to 5% of the tenant's monthly rent. And landlords cannot start charging fees until rent is late by at least one week. The new law also limits when evictions can occur and makes it easier for tenants to take landlords to court over living conditions. Property managers expressed concerns about the changes during debates at the Capitol this spring, but supporters say renters need more protections due to the coronavirus pandemic and the growing threat of evictions. 
Gray wolves may head back on the endangered species list. In October 2020, the wolves were removed from the list with roughly 6,000 gray wolves in the lower 48 at the time. But now the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will be reviewing the status with the potential of the wolves being added back to the list. The review comes after two groups filed petitions deemed substantive by Fish and Wildlife earlier this summer. The petitions state new laws in Idaho and Montana allow for more wolf hunting, which they claim would drastically reduce the wolf population. Fish and Wildlife will review the status of gray wolves over the next 12 months, at which time the department will determine if an endangered species listing is appropriate. At this time last year, firefighters were just over a month into fighting the Cameron Peak wildfire in northern Colorado. At more than 208,000 acres, it's the largest fire in state history, and full containment didn't come until December. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, for the people in charge of protecting the area's water, the work is only getting started. Randy Gustafson is watching helicopters zip back and forth over the Cameron Peak burn scar. They're hooking the net back up, and in a matter of seconds, he's up and out. Instead of scooping up water to drop on flames, the pilots are picking up bulging nets full of wood mulch to scatter over the charred hillsides from the 2020 fire. I'm kind of used to it, and I still, it's just the kid in you comes out watching this. Gustafson works for the city of Greeley. And even though Greeley is a two-hour drive away, this is where the city's water comes from. Snowmelt and rain make their way down from the foothills into the Cache River before that water is piped over to the city. But when that rain falls on a burn scar... It's like a frying pan. It's slick. It'll, uh, the water will run. As the water runs off of it, it'll collect. As it collects... Uh, debris, everything else, it just builds up onto itself moving through there. So what this does is it'll set down and stabilize the soil. These golden shards of wood, about three inches long, they help hold that dirt in place and keep it out of the runoff. And they're just one part of the city's strategy to keep the water clean. Another effort is underway above Chambers Lake, where the fire started. Big bundles of spongy wood shavings held together by biodegradable nets are laid out on the hillside. They form a baffle and they stop, they collect, as you can see right here, the uh, debris, soil, ash, and keep it from coming down into the, directly into the reservoir. Right now, they are holding back sludgy piles of gray dirt in one of the most severely burned parts of the Cameron Peak fire. This makes it worth it. This makes what we're doing worth it. I mean, this is a microscopic portion of what we have, but it worked and it stopped the bleeding and it's, yeah, this does. This this gets me amped up. But in the grand scheme of things, all this work could just be a band-aid with climate change making things worse. These mega fires, unfortunately, um, are not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Hallie Streavy directs the Coalition for the Poudre River Watershed. She says that means a lot more work for recovery and prevention around this fire and others like it across the West. You know, we're, we're trying not to lose hope. I think there's still plenty of things that we can do working together collaboratively. That includes precautionary forest management in areas prone to burn. And the fact that it's carried out by a watershed group is just more proof of how connected this all is. Even after a fire burns, it takes a lot of work to keep the water clean. 
But a restoration project like this one is not cheap. Keeping just one helicopter in the air costs $87 every minute. And this work has been going on for months. Greeley's Deputy Water Director Adam Jokerst says it's worth it for two reasons. One is to protect the public. Mulching and other erosion control structures uh, reduce flooding and protect life and property. And the second reason is water quality. How much is clean, pure mountain water worth? Jokerst said Greeley gets the best bang for its buck from aerial mulching, but they might not have enough money to cover as many acres as they'd like to. What's most critical for us right now um, is lack of funding. We are um, we're spending roughly $300,000 a day, so we go through funding very quickly. And with a long list of tasks to protect more of the watershed, Jokerst says they could use more help, whether that's from the state or from federal infrastructure spending. And he'd like to see more permanent funds set aside for this type of work. Randy Gustafson would too, especially since fires like this are getting stronger and more frequent. The last 10 years, I've had two major fires, and both of them are the most severe fires we've had. This is the biggest fire in Colorado. And yeah, this is not... And this, I see this as continuing until the forests are completely, we have nothing left to burn. Greeley's water team says restoration work will carry into the next few years, but because of the size and severity of the burn, it'll never truly be fixed. Alex Hager, KUNC. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for showers and thunderstorms tonight with mostly cloudy skies and a low in the mid-30s. Saturday, there's a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms with mostly sunny skies and a high near 60 degrees. Saturday night should be partly cloudy with a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a low around 40 degrees. Sunday calls for mostly sunny skies during the day and mostly clear skies at night with a high near 60 degrees and a low around 40. This has been the news for Friday, October 1st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.